Good morning. Welcome to 2014. That sounds weird to say. I'm going to keep saying it so that I don't forget or, or mess that up too much. Let's stand together. We're going to begin worship this morning. We're so glad that you chose to come and worship with us here at Mission View. It's our desire that you would have an encounter with God this morning, that, uh, that as we sing to him, that as we uh, hear Brian speak from his word this morning, that you would uh, that you'd be changed by the power of the gospel and that, uh, that God would begin or continue a great work in you. Let's sing together. Good morning, Mission View. It's good to see everyone today. If you are new with us this morning, we welcome you here. And we want you to let us know um, that you are here. So we have a communication card. It's on the bottom of your bulletin. If you could fill that out and drop it in the offering plate when they pass, that would be great. Also, if you have a prayer request or if you need to update your contact information, you can do that on this <clears throat> communication card. So make sure you take the opportunity to do that. We want to let you know about just a couple things that are going on at Mission View. First of all, we have our community group starting up the week of the 12th. So it's coming up really soon. If you are not signed up for a community group, I encourage you to do that today. You can do that online at our website. It's real easy to do. There's plenty of groups to choose from. There should be something that works with your schedule. Community groups are a huge blessing, and they're the lifeblood of Mission View in a lot of ways. And so I encourage you to get involved. We had a community group at our house last semester, and it was really amazing. We really bonded as a group, and we're able to just hold each other accountable and pray for one another and lift one another up, and it was a wonderful experience. And so we don't want anyone to miss out on that, so make sure that you join a community group. We also want to let you know about a class that is being offered by Maranatha Bible Church, which is our sending ministry. It's going to be starting up in just a couple weeks. I believe January 23rd is the first night, and the class is called Perspectives. And it is a class about what the Lord is doing all over the world. Um, it's called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement, actually. So it's just about how God is at work globally and how we can be involved in that work. And really, it's a life-changing class. I took it um, two years ago when Maranatha first offered it, and the Lord really used it to spark a passion in my heart for missions and just for what he's doing all over the world. So we encourage you to be part of that. It's on Thursday nights. There are discounts available, and there's actually an early bird discount available um, only for another couple of weeks. So if you want more information on perspectives, you can get that information either by calling Maranatha or going to their website, or we actually have some flyers at our information center over by the Commons, so make sure that you pick one of those up if you're interested in perspectives. Now, speaking about missions, we do want to pray for our missionaries this morning. We're praying for Eitan and Caitlin Barr, who are missionaries to Israel. So let's lift them up before the Lord. Father God, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and worship you. And we thank you so much for the privilege of being able to come to you in prayer. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in Israel. And Lord, we lift up Aton and Caitlin, who are over there ministering to them. And God, we pray for them that you would keep them safe, that you would give them an effective ministry among the Jewish people. Lord, we pray for them as they parent their little son, just that you would give them wisdom and grace to do so, and that you would protect him. God, we pray for the internet outreaches that they do, that they would be a great success, and that many Jews who are seeking the truth would find those websites and would find answers, and just that you would be at work in that country. Lord, we also lift up a local congregation, First Christian. Lord, we just thank you for them 
and for the work that they're doing. And we pray that you would bless them and that the gospel would continue to go forth and just that you would give them um, a ministry that just meets people's needs. We thank you again for who you are and for the opportunity to come before you. In Jesus' name we pray. You know, we start a new year, uh, what, five, six days ago, and uh, I was just thinking this morning as I was getting up that I just really want this year to be focused on the Lord. I want, want my, my heart to be for the Lord 100%, and, and so uh, I thought a lot about our, our church this morning and just uh, our response to worship, and uh, we only get one first shot at 2014, and this is it, and so this morning I just want to spur you on. I want to encourage you. Uh, to give the Lord all you got this morning. Let's just, let's lift his name together. Let's not let a moment pass and let's take advantage of what God, uh, take advantage of, of what God has done for us. Uh, he's just done some amazing things. I know we can all, if we, if we sat here and we just started talking about the amazing things that we've seen God do, even in the last week or this last year or through the holiday season, we'd be here for a long time. So let's, let's rejoice in that together. Part of the beauty of coming together as the body of Christ is that we get to celebrate what God has done. And so let's make this first impression of 2014 a good one. Let's lift the name of the Lord. Can I get an amen? Just want to take a, a few moments for us this morning, not to rush through our time of worship together, but just to take some time and reflect upon the cross of what Jesus has done for us. And we talked a little bit about that earlier, but that's just what we're going to do for the next couple of moments. Uh, we're just going to have some soft music playing, and we just want you to spend some time with the Lord, uh, just thinking about all that God has done, and uh, specifically the work on the cross, what, what Christ has done for us. So let's just take a moment or two. thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your church. And Lord, we thank you for your grace that you would allow us to have relationship with Jesus and to be a part of the body of Christ that is your church. Father, I pray that this morning that we would not take lightly your presence and that we would not take lightly your holiness. God, that you would be pleased with us. Father, that we would serve a holy God and that you would make us holy in your sight this morning as we sing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand with us. God, thank you for this time together. 
where we can lift your name up. God, we thank you that you are a holy God, but God, that you have made us right in your sight. Lord, we thank you for the justification process and just how you continue to work in us, Lord, despite our sin, despite our failures. So God, we're grateful this morning and we pray that you would just be pleased with us as we've sung to you, Lord, and now as we turn to your word, uh, Lord, that you would just teach us, that you would admonish, admonish us, uh, Father, that, uh, that we would grow closer to you in Jesus' name. Can have a seat. Good morning, Mission View Church. Hey, thanks so much. If you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, go with me to the Old Testament book of Haggai. The Old Testament book of Haggai, it's the, the third to last book in the Old Testament. If you, if you have your Bible in print, if you have the Bible app, just type in Haggai and it'll take you right there. One of the gifts that my son received for Christmas was a brand new car seat. He's only 13 months old, but most 13-month-olds are half of what Ethan is. He's a healthy 25, 26 pounds, and he had to have, when he was born, one of those brand new baby car seats, and they face backwards, and they're built for tiny babies. And Ethan is great, he's just not tiny, he's Got a healthy appetite, got some meat on his bones. And so one of, one of the things we looked at before Christmas is he now meets the weight requirement to get a much more convenient car seat, one in which he can now sit facing forward. Before, his car seat, he had to look backwards, and you had to carry him out of the car in the car seat, and he's 25 pounds, and then the car seat's probably another 15 to 20 pounds. My wife has guns now like a female MMA fighter. I mean, it's incredible. I don't want to arm wrestle her. It would be embarrassing for me. And so we just decided that it was, yeah, I just admitted my wife could out arm wrestle me, all right? That's the sign of a real man. He knows his limitations. So for those of you scoffing, I don't have anything to prove. My wife could take me. There, I said it. You all were thinking it. So all that to say, she wanted a brand new car seat. We got him a brand new car seat. The day after Christmas, I dropped him off at, at daycare. And then I went home and I installed the new car seat. And we left the old one at daycare. And it was cold, but it wasn't anything like we're going to experience over tomorrow and Tuesday cold, but it was still cold enough. So I went into daycare at the end of the day, picked him up, carried out his car seat and just realized I no longer have the base for this car seat. I've installed the new car seat. Now I have two car seats in a two door Honda Civic in the back seat. It's getting a little congested in here. And so I turn around and I start I didn't get out of the car. I, I sat in the driver's seat and reaching behind, tried to undo him from his car seat. And he's looking at me like, what are you possibly doing? Just leave me alone. And I'm like, no, let me, let me get you. And so I'm wrestling with a 13-month-old. And the 13-month-old is winning. And I'm in the daycare parking lot. And there are cars all next to me. And soccer moms are picking up their kids. And they're laughing at me. And I'm sitting there. And I can't find the car keys. So I don't have any heat going on in the car. And I'm wrestling a 13-month-old. And so all of our car windows start getting fogged up. And I would care except for the fact that now I have a little bit of privacy from the soccer moms who are mocking me. So I was fine with it. The car windows are all fogged up. I finally out-wrestle my son. I pick him up. I put him in his brand new car seat. I can't figure out how to loosen anything. So I have to look up on YouTube on my phone the video 
of how to get him in the brand new car seat that I've just installed and wrestled him out of his old car seat to put him in his new car seat. I do that. I finally am reaching all around. I can't find the keys. And I'm thinking after 20 minutes of sitting in the parking lot, I have to go back into daycare and ask, you know, if I left my keys inside, I'll never live it down. So I finally find my keys. I turn on the car. I let it defrost for a minute. We pull out of daycare. We start driving along. And I just start hearing my son cooing in the back seat. And I'm like, what is going on? This kid is loving his brand new car seat. Dad of the year. Yes. And so we come up to a red light and I look back and his head's just going a mile a minute. He's looking from side to side to side. He can't get enough. He's taking in everything. And it dawned on me. When he was in his backwards car seat, we had a little mirror on the back of the seat so that we could adjust our rear view mirror and we could see what he was doing. But his entire car trips consisted of him looking at himself. That's what he did. He just looked at himself. He's a cute kid. He knows he's a cute kid. So he would just sit there and impress himself constantly. And now, for the first time in his life, in the car, he wasn't limited to just looking at himself. He had a whole new perspective, and he could see the things around him instead of just himself. Over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at the Old Testament book, Haggai. And the challenge for us is going to be to make sure that we're not just looking at ourselves. See, that was the message that the, the prophet Haggai took to the people. The trouble was they were self-absorbed. They were focused on themselves. And Haggai draws a contrast that we're going to see develop over the next couple weeks of how the individual is progressing and standing and how they're functioning in their life and how they're functioning and standing in their spiritual lives. And the contrast is great. We begin in Haggai 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now, we're going to give you a short history lesson just right now. And for you history haters, I promise I'll be short. So don't lose me, all right? Stick with me. I promise I'll be very, very, very brief. But just to set the background for what's going on here in Haggai and his message. In 959 B.C., in 959 B.C., Solomon completed the temple. Now, the temple was the center of Israelites' relationship with God. It was where they would go to sacrifice. It's where God dwelled. The, the temple was the center of, of the Israelites' relationship with God. In 959 B.C., Solomon completes the temple. Now, we know, we know that Solomon, he liked the ladies a little bit. And one of the results, oftentimes, of liking the ladies a little bit is lots of kids. And one of the results of lots of kids is lots of fights. And so Solomon croaks, and then all of a sudden, his sons start jockeying for the throne. They start jockeying for position. Who's going to be king? Who's going to be in control? And all these different kids have all these different agendas. I mean, family drama like you've never seen before. You think your family's messed up. It probably is, but nowhere near as bad as Solomon's. So all of a sudden, the kingdom just splits. It splits. In 722 BC, the Assyrians conquered the northern tribes of Jerusalem and scattered them throughout their empire. So 
a, a great majority of Jerusalem is, is gone and the Israelites are gone. Well, in 586 B.C., they still held on, the tribe of Judah still held on to Jerusalem. But in 586 B.C., the Babylonians overtook Jerusalem and absolutely destroyed the temple that Solomon had built. I don't know if you're picking up or not, but there were a lot of wars. There were a lot of battles. There were a lot of fights. And so in 539 B.C., the Babylonians who came in and overtook Jerusalem, they now are overtaken by Cyrus. And their leader sent the Jews back to Jerusalem in 538 B.C. This is where the book of Ezra picks up for us in the Old Testament. Guess what happens to Cyrus? He's killed, like every other king of that time. There's another king, and then Darius becomes king. There are arguments whether this happened peacefully or through the use of force. Either way, Darius' reign began in 521 B.C., he established governors and assigns them provinces in the kingdom. And Zerubbabel is the governor and Joshua the high priest over Jerusalem. And that takes us to 520 B.C. where Haggai is. And Haggai details all of this for us in verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts... These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So they've been back in their land for 18 years. They started rebuilding the temple, but they didn't really put any effort into it. And their argument is one of, it's not yet time. And looking, and looking at the political structure and looking at all the different kings around them, you can understand how their argument would be made. It's, it's not a stable time. We're not secure. Now's not the time. Let's just wait for a more secure time. Let's just wait until things are, are a little bit more resolved. There's a lack of security that they're clinging to, and it's understandable because of everything that's going on around them. And they're, they're saying, let's just wait on rebuilding the temple. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. See, all the hesitation that they had in terms of rebuilding the temple, the center of worship and their relationship with God, all the hesitation that they claimed about a lack of security, it didn't impact them on a personal level. See, personally, they were worried about their own dwelling place. They were worried about their own house. And while on one hand they're claiming, we can't do anything about the temple because it's, it's just not time yet. It's just not secure. It's, it's, it's just not right yet. We need more stability. We need more security. On the other hand, they're saying, now's a great time to build our house. Now's a perfect time for us to have a great place to live. Now's the time that we should work on our own homes. 
See, sometimes when God calls us to do something and we don't listen or we hesitate, sometimes we're very subtle and we're very, we're very smart about it. And we don't in the defiant nature of a, a Jonah say, I'm, I'm just not doing that. Rather, very subtly, we just say, now's not the time. It's not yet time. And we, we figure out convenient excuses that on the surface look great. But when we get a level deeper and we continue to peel away, the truth finds that they're very empty. And here they're saying, we can't rebuild the temple and yet that hesitation is nowhere to be found in terms of their own houses, in terms of what they possess. Now was the time for them to live in luxury. Now was the time for them to focus on what they had. I'm sure they convinced themselves that it was entirely legitimate. But God tells the prophet Haggai, there's no such thing. He goes on. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Now this is an agrarian farming community. And so they're just, he's just laying here out what society would understand. You sow much, yet you reap little. That goes against natural law. Natural law tells us the more seed a farmer casts, the larger the crop will be during the harvest. You eat, but you're never full. Unless you're going through puberty, that doesn't make sense. Now, if you're going through puberty, you know and your parents know because they're looking at their grocery budget saying, what has happened here? You can eat all day and you are never full. And your parents are thinking of filing for bankruptcy just to feed you. But unless you're going through puberty, you understand if you eat enough, you get full. Consequently, if you're thirsty, if you drink, your thirst is quenched. If you are cold, you layer yourself with clothes. I'm just telling you, you better go get everything you have out of your closet and out of your dresser drawers because tomorrow night you're going to need it. It's going to be freezing with a low of a nice minus 11 degrees. But we understand when it's cold, what do we do? We put on more clothes. And yet the prophet says, you keep putting on clothes, but you're never warm. You save. And yet you're throwing it into a bag of holes. You have nothing to show for it. See, all of this violates natural law. All of, this, all of this violates that which naturally occurs, and yet this is their reality. Their harvest is small. They're never full. They're constantly thirsty. They're freezing. And they have nothing to show for all of the work that they've put in. I can't help but think these people have got to be just miserable. 
as they look at all that they've worked for, and it's never satisfied them. It's never fulfilled them. And I wonder, is that you? Is that us? Our family just wonders, why aren't you happy? You've accomplished everything you set out to accomplish in your career. People like you. You have a nice house. You drive a great car. You take fabulous vacations. Yet you're never happy. And I submit to you today that if all we're living for is the American dream, then we're going to find ourselves in a place when we're truly honest where we're just like the people that Haggai's talking to. Where we work so hard yet we really have nothing to show for it. Where we're constantly hungry, constantly thirsty, constantly freezing. And all that we've put away amounts to nothing. See, what I want so badly for all of us this year is to realize there's something greater that we've been called to than the American dream. And there's nothing wrong with a nice house. There's nothing wrong with a great job, nice cars, fabulous vacations. Nothing is wrong with any of that. But if that is our focus and that is our sole purpose, we will never be fulfilled because God created us for more than that. And so I'm begging you, I'm begging you, have loftier goals than what your neighbor would define success as. Don't settle for what all those around you will say is good enough. Don't do it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Notice what God says to do first. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Just a couple minutes ago, Mitch led us in a time of worship, and, and one of the things that he built into our time of worship today was an, was an outlet for us to, to do just that, to consider. Our lives are so busy. We work so hard. We, we have so many distractions. Our cell phones are constantly there. The tablet's constantly there. The TV's constantly on. We're constantly able to be reached. The challenge for us has got to be, we've got to just stop. At some point each day, we just have to stop. Put the phone on silent, put it upside down, turn it off if you have to. Do whatever it takes, but build in an opportunity for you each day to do just that, to consider. Consider. It might be for you when you wake up. It might be on your drive to work. It might be on your lunch break. It might be right when you get home from work. It might be right before you go to bed. I don't know what works for you. I don't know what your schedule looks like. But what I'm challenging you to do is build in that time where you just stop and are silent before God. Consider. 
One of the greatest things that will help your prayer life is if during your prayer time with God, if you don't pray the whole time. If you allow God to speak. Open up His Word. Read. Talk to God. And listen. Listen. God first says, consider your ways. So each of us needs to build in a time into our day, into our week, where we stop and we, we inventory our life. We inventory our goals. We inventory our successes and our failures. What we're going after. Consider. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. God says consider, and then he says act. And he says go up to the hills, bring down the wood, and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. God doesn't always call us to do that, which is easy. It was a journey uphill. Once they made it, they had to carve the wood. They then had to carry it down. God doesn't always call us to do that, which is easy. One of the problems is, is we so desperately wanted everything to be easy. My, my wife got this thing for Christmas from her grandma. That's, that's incredible. It, it's as seen on TV. And it, it just looks like this like, little towel thing. But if you put potatoes in it, you can put it in the microwave. And you can have a baked potato in four minutes. Now, I'm not trying to sell you anything. But I'm just saying, we've used it three times this week. And it's been great. All right? You, we've, we've turned the process of baked potatoes in, into four minutes. She, she last night made mashed potatoes for, for dinner, and she said, this used to take me an hour and 10 minutes. Tonight, it took me 10 minutes. I'm, we love what's easy. We love what's convenient. The problem is God doesn't always call us to that which is easy, and God doesn't always call us to that which is convenient. There's work involved. We have an incredible privilege to be part of this brand new ministry. We have an incredible privilege to, to be able to utilize this facility. And yet there's work involved. There's a crew of people who wake up every Sunday morning before 6 o'clock to, to get over to the office and take that which you see on stage from storage in the office down four flights into load it up into vehicles drive it over here set it up in time that they can do sound check there's a team of people that that get here every sunday morning very early and and transform call or transform high school classrooms into a place that your kids can feel safe and then there's one teacher who every single week's like every single week likes to rearrange his room in ways that you have to be a professional architect to figure out how to put all the tables and chairs back just the perfect way. And so they stay late every single Sunday with a picture on their phone trying their best to replicate how it got set up. There are people who set up signs who bring 
cookies and donuts and pretzels and Doritos and all kinds of things so that during the commons time we can go out and, and we just have some food as, as we get to know one another. We have people who run sound. We have, we have people, you name it, they're serving. And the challenge is oftentimes when something's new, it's easy to get excited about and it's easy to be like, oh yes, this is awesome. And our challenge is going to be this. It's not going to be easy. It's going to become mundane. It's going to be frigid. There are going to be mornings you wake up and you would just rather go back to sleep. So church, I'm asking you, with the same enthusiasm you've already displayed, let's make sure that we continue it. Let's make sure we continue. If you're not involved in, in, in serving, I'm going to challenge you, get involved. And next week, we're going to have tangible ways that you can get involved. They're going to be available at the Welcome Center. They're going to be available online. Tomorrow as a staff, we're going to meet and discuss those. If you see a need, and you think we're blind to it because we all have blind spots. None of us are perfect. There are, we, we all have areas that we don't see. If you see something and you're like, this is a, this is a tangible need, then I'm going to ask you to do two things. One, I'm going to ask you to email me. You can email me at brian at missionviewchurch.org. That's, that's with an I, brian at missionviewchurch.org. Number two, what I'm going to ask you to do is after you email me, determine how you're going to help fix the problem. I so love, I so love what we've already been able to accomplish. I so love hearing the stories of people whose, whose lives have been changed, whose marriages are, are being changed, who, who have become closer to God. I so loved a couple weeks ago, and I occasionally just watch it online, seeing 11 people baptized right over there. I so love what God is doing, and, and I'm so excited about it, and I so love that we get to partner with you on this journey. And so all I'm asking, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything's wrong. All I'm saying is let's just make sure we keep our focus. Let's just make sure when the going gets tough and it will and when the going gets tougher and it will let's not lose sight let's not give up let's understand and let's realize that God calls us to accomplish difficult things for his glory and let's together resolve to say no matter how tough no matter how difficult I'm in I'm committed and I will not quit God doesn't always call us to do what's easy You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. The reason for the hardship is priorities. God desperately wanted their attention. 
because the people were guilty of idolatry and the gods they put before God was themselves. See, the root of idolatry is pride. Oftentimes, the biggest gods we place in front of God is us. It's ourselves. There are two things that are just so troubling about pride. The first is, it's obvious to everyone except the person who harbors it. It's obvious to everyone if if you are proud, it's just oftentimes not obvious to you. That's incredibly dangerous. When everyone else notices the problem, but you don't see it. And that's how pride works. It's subtle. It's subtle. It's obvious to everyone except to you. The the second thing is increasingly in our, our culture, pride convinces us it's necessary for our betterment. Pride convinces us it's necessary for our betterment. It convinces us that nobody else at our jobs is going to notice that which we're doing, so we need to be the one who who portrays it to everybody. Pride convinces us that we need to be our own biggest cheerleader. I, I saw one quote last night. I don't know who to attribute it to, but it said, They say don't believe your own hype. I ask why not, because if you don't, nobody else will. And that's the mindset that a lot of people in our business communities, every politician, I mean, that's the mindset that just about everyone has. It's constantly about me. It's about me getting my name out there. It's about people realizing and recognizing that which I accomplish. That's the lie that pride tells us. And yet, in his book, Good to Great, Jim Collins, back in 2001, published this book, and he found something extraordinary. And if you're in business and you haven't read Good to Great, I would challenge you, read Good to Great when you have time from Jim Collins. It's, it's not an inherently Christian perspective, yet what you will find is a lot of themes that agree with Scripture in the book. Jim Collins discovered this. One of the traits that led to organizational greatness was, according to Collins, a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. Personal humility and professional will. The first surprised Collins. He goes on to write, During interviews with good to great leaders, they'd talk about the company and the contributions of other executives as long as we'd like, but would deflect discussion about their own contributions. It wasn't just false modesty. Those who worked with or wrote about the good to great leaders continually used words like quiet, humble, modest, reserved, shy, gracious, mild-mannered, self-effacing, understated, did not believe his own clippings, and so forth. See, the lie that pride tells us is you've got to let everyone know how great you are. Turns out to not be the case. And this shouldn't catch us by surprise, for we know from the scriptures that God hates pride. He hates it. And pride comes in a lot of forms. One of the greatest 
as when we elevate ourselves over God. Have we? Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. They heard the message of God, and they responded. they focused and they went to work on God's house. God got their attention. God is a jealous God. God wants all of you. He's patient, but he's jealous. He will do that which it takes. Haggai relays the message, and the people respond with urgency, and they go to work, and they act. Do we need to? Last Sunday, Monday, if, even if you aren't a sporting fan, you had to have noticed that the Cleveland Browns, once again, conveyed to the NFL and the entire world just how great a football team they are. Nearly 31 million people watched the wild card playoffs between last night and today, and each game will average nearly 31 million people. Those 31 million people may or may not even know that the Cleveland Browns exist with the results that they've had recently. And yet I listened to the press conference to hear the owner and the team president speak. And whether you agree with their philosophy or not, whether you agree with their decision or not to fire a coach they brought in less than one year ago, their reason was this, we have to accomplish better things, and we've got to get started now. There's urgency. There's urgency. Will it work out? I'm a man of prayer, so maybe. <laughs> but they're not willing to wait. Church, let's not be willing to wait. Let's not be willing to wait. So for us, practically, what do we need to do? First, do an inventory of our time and our resources. If, if you were to have a financial and a time audit conducted on yourself, what would your time and money say about your priorities? 
What would be reported in the audit? Number two, be willing to invest your time and your giftedness in the body of Christ. There are a lot of avenues for this. For, for some people, that, that looks like a weekly thing. For some people, that looks like a biweekly thing. For some people, that looks like a daily thing. For some people, that looks like a monthly or a quarterly thing. But wherever you are in life, be willing to invest your time and resources and abilities in the church. And this may not be the church for you. We hope it is. We hope it is. But if you're just here and you're like, I can't become part of this church, then with God's grace, go somewhere you can become part of. We hope this is it for you. But we want for each person to utilize their God-gifted talents and abilities. And that's not just something we say. That's something we honestly believe. And because we honestly believe that, we're willing to say, okay, this isn't the place for everybody. We hope it is for you, but maybe it's not, and maybe God can utilize you greater someplace else. Then we're so, we'll applaud you. Go utilize your gift set. Go utilize what you can do. But just know before you go, we have a lot of needs here, and we'd love for you to utilize them here. But it's important for us to see people plugged in and really utilizing their gift set for God's glory. Number three. Ask those closest to you who will be really honest with you if you portray pride. And don't get mad at their answer. Ask them, are my priorities in order? Does everybody else know something about me that I myself don't see? How would you describe me? And if they come back and say, yeah, you do, then work on it. Read about humility. Open the scriptures. Just go to the back of your Bible or on the Bible app. Just type in the word pride and see what the scriptures say about pride. And spoiler alert, it's never positive. Number four, don't put it off. Don't think there's always tomorrow. I need to focus over here now. Don't put off your relationship with Christ. Start right now. No matter what reason or excuse you have that seems good, it's not valid. Start now on the most important relationship in your life. And that's your relationship with God. And it's a personal relationship because of that which Jesus accomplished on our behalf. Inventory your resources and your time. Invest in this church or another local church. Ask those closest to you if you portray pride. And don't put it off. Start now. God, I pray that you would give us a holy urgency. God, that we would look at our lives and we would see that 
If there's anything in our lives that brings you dishonor. God, I pray that we would deal with it, especially with pride. God, I thank you for these people. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the work on your behalf you've allowed us to do. I thank you for the results that we've seen already. And God, I just pray that we would see many more for your glory. So God, I, I just first want to say thanks for, for putting all these people with all their different gifts here. And, and God, I would just pray that we would have an urgency to utilize those gifts. God, I pray that, that as we look at our, our lives, we wouldn't see that we put everything before you, but God, that we put nothing before you with our time, with our resources, with our talents. God, I pray that as you look at our lives, you'd be honored with, with, how, with how we conduct them. Lord, thanks for your patience with us. Thanks for your love for us. And God, I pray now with a holy urgency, we'll live for you, for your glory, that you would delight in how we conduct ourselves. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. We'll see you in the comments. Y'all have a great week.